Well, it's really good to see all of your beautiful faces and hear your beautiful voices as well. I love a packed house where we can all come and worship together. Um, I don't often get to preach on Sundays where it's just like both services combined. You know, Dwayne, he, he gets seniority in that way. He gets to preach Christmas Sunday and Easter Sunday and all these ones where we do just one service. And I asked him, I was like, I said, Dwayne, I said, can I please preach on Labor Day Sunday? It's just one service. It'll be great. And he said, sure. So uh, that's why, that's why I'm, I'm up here this morning. But we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15 this morning, verses 1 through 5. So if you go ahead and get your uh, Bibles ready to, to Mark 15. And I just want to remind you as we start off here uh, that there's a number on the screen uh, that you can text your sermon questions to if you have any. And we'll shoot a video midweek and try to answer some of those for you. So keep that in mind as we go throughout here this morning. Now we're going to read over the text here in a moment. Mark chapter 15 verses 1 through 5. And what we're ultimately, I believe, going to see here is the sacrificial obedience of Jesus as we see him go throughout his court hearing before the Roman official Pilate. And once we get into our introduction, I'll try to help us understand um, why that's important for us and what we want to see here. So let's first begin by reading, allowing the word to speak to us, and then as usual, we'll go and ask the Spirit to come and help us. So Mark 15, verses 1 through 5. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we're praying that we might gain a better sight of Jesus, that we might see him in his glory in a greater way, and that that would compel our hearts to worship him and to serve him well. Help us to see his sacrificial obedience and how he is calling us to the same. We ask this in his name. Amen. So as we look here at the first five verses of Mark 15, uh, what we find here in this scene is Jesus' court hearing and it is a court hearing that will ultimately end in a death sentence. Now this court scene that we see here follows a night of events that are directly related to it. The night before Jesus' trial, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane when the Jewish rel religious leaders came to arrest him. And you'll remember that Jesus' disciples were with him at this point in the story. And what we see there is that this is a crucial scene for Jesus' disciples. 
because it's the scene where particularly their faith is most put to the test. This is the moment of truth for his disciples. Will they stand by Jesus and sacrifice for him? Will they walk in sacrificial obedience to him in this moment? Or will they flee? Will they run away? Will they abandon Jesus as he is going to be arrested and put to death? Now, we all know how the story goes, right? Mark says very clearly that they all fled and left. And then the gospel authors also hone in on Peter. Uh, Just a couple uh, scenes later, they hone in on Peter's denial of Jesus. And we have to understand that that Peter is the self-proclaimed best follower of Jesus, right? You go throughout the entirety of the gospels and you continually see Peter building himself up as the best follower of Jesus. Like, I'm going to follow you to the end. And yet, what do we see? We see Peter falling away. We see him denying Jesus. Now, the reason why these events, and particularly the disciples' reaction to the testing of their faith, is so important for this court scene, is because Mark is seeking to contrast Jesus with his disciples. He's contrasting the disciples' failure to walk in sacrificial obedience to Jesus with Jesus' display of sacrificial obedience in his court hearing. And what he's ultimately aiming to do, what Mark is doing here, is he's seeking to show us that Jesus is the consummate disciple. He is the prototypical, perfect follower of of God as we see him sacrificially obey his father in this court hearing. And I think what Mark is wanting us to do is to understand that Jesus is the one we must follow, that Jesus is the one we are sacrificing for, and that he is worthy of that. It's a call to radical discipleship and sacrificial obedience as we see our Savior sacrificially obey for us. And so as we open up these five verses here, our aim then is to see Jesus' sacrificial obedience for us, that we might seek sacrificial obedience for him. So let's jump into the text here. First, we're going to consider the obedient binding of Christ. And we see this in verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Now I believe that this verse shows us Christ's obedience being displayed through his willingness to be bound and taken to trial by the religious leaders. Now let's see how that's the case as we walk through it here. So our scene here opens up the morning after Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The religious leaders gather together and the text says that they bind Jesus and deliver him over to Pilate to be tried. Now if you think about this verse in the context of the entire Gospel of Mark, what Mark has shown us about Jesus from the very beginning, what he set out to prove from the very beginning, this verse and what is said here is very ironic and is a little bit strange. So if we think about what Mark's purpose is in this gospel, he says that at the very beginning, 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then throughout the rest of the gospel, what Mark is aiming to do is show that Jesus is that, that he is God's Son, he is God in the flesh. And so we see him doing all kinds of crazy things. We see him exercising authority over disease and sickness. We see him healing blind people, mute people, lame people, restoring them to good health. We see Jesus exercising control over human nature or over uh, earthly nature, right? We see him calming the storm, mother nature, as it were. We see him exercising authority over human sin, forgiving people's sins. We see him exercise authority and control over the spiritual world. He commands the demons to do something and they obey. And we also see him exercising control over death itself. The story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, right? Now, why is that striking in light of what's being said here? We see Jesus throughout the entire gospel with authority, the authority and power of God himself, now being bound by mere men. Strange, isn't it? It's it's not what we're used to seeing out of Jesus. We're really left asking why someone with so much power and so much authority would allow anyone to bind them and take them to trial. A trial that is unjust, as we'll see, no less. Now, what I think is happening here is that if we look at all of the gospel witnesses, we'll see that Jesus is not being overpowered by the religious leaders, but rather that Jesus is displaying his obedience to his Father's will by willingly being bound and delivered to Pilate. That this is an expression of Jesus' obedience, not an expression of his lack of power, okay? So let's notice what is said about, again, the previous night scene when Jesus is in the garden and is about to be arrested. Listen to some of the gospel witnesses. In Mark 14, 48 through 49, the text says this, And Jesus said to them, the religious leaders who were coming to arrest him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Now Jesus indicates here that he is willing to be arrested and subsequently put to death in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Jesus is showing his willingness to walk in obedience to the will of his Father. The same scene in John 18, 10, and 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and cut the high priest's servant's ear off. And his name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Here Jesus speaks about his death poetically as a cup that his Father is going to give him to drink. A cup that he is willing to drink. And I think the most significant witness here, Matthew 26, 52, and 53, again the same scene, records it this way. Then Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. 
Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? So speaking to Peter, Jesus makes clear that He has at His disposal an angelic army to come to His aid. And yet He does not employ them. This shows us that Jesus is willing to be bound, that he's not being overpowered by the religious leaders, and that his willingness to be bound and taken to trial is ultimately about his obedience to his Father's will. Now, in light of this, Jesus' binding by the religious leaders and this sacrificial obedience that he's walking to in his Father What did Jesus have to sacrifice in this moment to walk in obedience to his Father's will? What did he have to sacrifice? I believe that he had to sacrifice his control. He had to sacrifice his control over his life and what would become of it. Now, who does he relinquish this control to? Now, you might be thinking, well, he relinquishes it to the Jewish religious leaders because they're the ones that are binding him, right? Not really. Jesus is relinquishing his control to his Father, trusting him, walking in obedience to him, trusting and saying, Father, I am going to do whatever you desire that I do because I love you and I want to walk in obedience to you. He's placing his life, he's placing himself fully in the control of, of his father to do what he God predetermined to happen from before time began Jesus is giving up his control not to the religious leaders but to his father Jesus calls us to the same kind of sacrificial obedience that we see him modeling here an obedience that is willing to sacrifice our own sense of control over our lives and give that freely to God. Now, I don't think that it's news to any of us for me to tell you that as fallen humans, we love control. Is that news to anyone in here? You like to have an orderly life, right? You like to have a life that you can control, that you can determine what you're going to do with your own life. We like that. And I think that part of the reason why we like that so much is because having control over our own lives gives us a sense of security. That we can control what's going on around us. That we can control what we do with our lives. This security is something that we crave as humans. And I think that often what we do is that in order to protect our sense of security we tend to prioritize bolstering our control over walking in sacrificial obedience to God. I think that what we do is that we try to gain and earn things in our lives that increases our sense of control, increasing our sense of security, rather than walking the hard road of sacrificial obedience to God. Let's think about a couple ways in which this might manifest itself. Think about it in terms of your relationships. Perhaps God is calling you to reconcile a relationship that is currently strained. But you don't. Because to do so would put you in a vulnerable place. A place that threatens your sense of control in the relationship. 
So instead of walking the hard road of sacrificial obedience and walking in obedience to God and seeking to reconcile that relationship, you decide, ah, I don't want to give up that control. I don't want to give up that sense of security with where I am with that person. I'm not willing to go there. Perhaps uh, think about it in terms of our finances and the way that we use them. Maybe God is calling you to give a radical financial gift to advance the gospel. But you're really struggling within yourself because you know that to do so would threaten your sense of financial security and restrict the way that you can live your life. It would restrict the, restrict the control that you have. You might not be able to do everything that you want to do. You know what's very interesting about this dynamic and this uh, control that we crave and this security that we crave? It's a security and a control that we find in ourselves and what we have and what we possess. And if you really think about it, that's not a real secure place to be. You see, Jesus was willing to walk in a sacrificial obedience that laid down his own sense of self-control and that placed himself completely in the will of his Father. And in doing so, I believe that he found himself in perfect security, entrusting himself to God. But yet we think and we are content with our own sense of self-security, right? We bolster our own control. We try to maintain our control. That's not what we see in Jesus and what we often fail to accept is that Christ is calling us to an obedience that, that sacrifices a sense of self-control and security in self. He wants us to place that in Him as we see Jesus doing here. So Jesus, we see, through His willing binding, His willingness to be bound and taken to trial is demonstrating an obedience that sacrifices a sense of self-control, placing his trust fully in his Father. Now next we see Christ's obedience displayed through his answer to Pilate. And we see this in verse 2. So the Jewish religious leaders bind Jesus and they take him to court before Pilate the Roman official, and this is what it says, verse 2. And Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Now I believe that in this verse we see Christ's obedience displayed through his death-assuring answer. The scene here now shifts to the courtroom where Jesus stands trial before the Roman official Pilate and Mark's description of the conversation between the two is short and to the point. Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Is what the religious leaders are claiming, this blasphemy that they're claiming of you, is it, is it true or are you truly the king of the Jews? Jesus replies in the affirmative, you have said so. Now, don't confuse the translation here. Jesus isn't saying, you know what, you say that I'm the king of the Jews, Pilate, but that's not what I'm saying. No, Jesus is speaking affirmatively here. I am the king of the Jews. Now, let's unpack this situation to gain a better grasp on this question and answer. So Jesus was put on trial by the religious leaders 
because they believed that he, among other things, was guilty of blaspheming God by professing to be God. Now, what the religious leaders didn't understand is that Jesus' claims to be God were not blasphemy because he was God. If he was only a mere man, then his claims to being God would, of course, be blaspheming him. And now we see Jesus on trial, put in the position to lie to the judge. No, I'm not the king of the Jews. And subsequently be set free or to tell the truth, I am the king of the Jews, and to subsequently be put to death. Now what is not immediately obvious to us is that for Jesus, this decision to either tell the truth and be set free, or to lie and be put to, or to tell the truth and be put to death, or to lie and be set free, is ultimately a decision to disobey God and save his own life or to obey God and be sentenced to death. There's something greater going on here. There's something behind the scenes. This is a matter of obedience to God for Jesus, or disobedience. Now Jesus, being fully committed to his Father, chooses obedience and answers Pilate in a way that assures that his death will come about. He says, yes, Pilate, I am the King of the Jews. Now this shows us that Jesus is willing to walk in obedience to his Father to the point of sacrificing his own life. And here we see what Paul says in Philippians 2, 8 on display. He says, In being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is where we see Jesus' obedience unto death begin, answering Pilate in the affirmative. Yes, I am the king of the Jews, knowing full well that that means that he would be put to death. So we see in Jesus an obedience that is willing to sacrifice his very life. And you know what? Jesus calls all those who want to follow him to the same kind of sacrificial obedience. Now it's very unlikely that given where we are in terms of where we live geographically, that God is calling you to sacrifice your very life in walking in obedience to him. That he's calling you to die physically for him. There are places all over the world where this is happening. There are martyrs all over the world who are living in less fortunate circumstances than we are here in the United States, who it's illegal to follow Christ, and they are being put to death in walking in obedience to Him. So what might God be calling us to in terms of our lives and sacrificial obedience? Well, I think that God more so calls us in America to sacrificially obey Him by sacrificing our quality of life. Maybe not our physical lives, but what about our quality of life? Maybe God is calling you to quit your job, uproot your family, and move to a third world country to advance the gospel among an unreached people group. Students, maybe God is calling you to change your major to a focus on vocational ministry. 
Adults, maybe God is calling you to quit your comfortable job and pursue full-time ministry. Maybe there's people here who God is calling to be church planters or to be a part of a church plant. Maybe God is calling you to sacrifice the comfort of your church, a church that you may have been born into. This might be the church that you have only ever known since birth. Maybe God is calling you to sacrifice that comfort and to be a part of expanding the kingdom of God. Is God calling you to sacrifice your quality of life that the kingdom of God might be expanded? It's probably more likely than him calling you to sacrifice your physical life. And you know what? This obedience, this sacrificial obedience that sacrifices our quality of life is directly connected to the first one we looked at in sacrificing our control. Because we so often are bolstering our quality of life because it gives us a greater sense of control and security. So to sacrifice one is going to mean that you have to sacrifice both. You have to sacrifice your control, placing yourself fully in God's hands, which will probably lead to sacrificing your quality of life as you walk in obedience to him. We see in Jesus a willingness to walk in radical obedience to his father, an obedience that would end in him sacrificing his own life. Likewise, he calls those who will follow him to take up their cross daily and walk in self-crucifying obedience to him. So what does that look like for you today? What does it look like for you to walk in self-crucifying obedience to Christ? So we've seen here that Christ shows us his obedience through his willing binding and his death-assuring answer. And now let's consider his obedience through his self-denying silence. We see this in verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read verse 2 to give you a little bit of the flow. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Verse three, and the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now I believe that we see Christ's obedience displayed here through his self-denying silence. So in verse 3 we see the court scene continue as Pilate turns and speaks to Jesus again and he says, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. And this is where it gets really, really interesting a court scene like you have never viewed before. Jesus, with his chance to clear his name and be released from a death sentence, doesn't speak a word. There is complete and utter silence. 
And it's in the midst of this silent moment that we can hear echoes of Isaiah 53.7 bouncing off the walls in this courtroom. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Through Jesus' self-denying obedience, he shows us his desire to honor his Father. Jesus displays his obedience to his Father's will through his self-denying silence. This is a matter of obedience for Jesus. By choosing to walk in obedience to his father, making no defense against the accusations leveled against him, Jesus shows us that he is willing to sacrifice his reputation in the eyes of men. We see Isaiah 53 again testify to this reality. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. And again, he was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus was not a transgressor, and yet he was numbered with them. Jesus' self denying obedience shows us that he is willing to honor his Father rather than to be thought well of by his fellow man. It's pretty astonishing, isn't it? Jesus, in his chance to defend himself, doesn't speak a word, knowing full well that he's essentially admitting to guilt, although he's not guilty. He's willing to have his reputation, his self-image marred in the eyes of men in order to walk in obedience to his Father. Brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us to the same kind of sacrificial obedience, an obedience that sacrifices our reputation in the eyes of men. Is not the idol of peer admiration alive and well? You know, we as adults like to think that once we graduate from high school and from college, that peer pressure and the desire to be thought well of by our peers vanishes. But in reality, it only changes form. No longer does it come in the brash, youthful comments, in-your-face comments about if you'll do this drug or if you'll watch this movie or how far you'll go with your girlfriend. No, the adult kind is much more sophisticated and subtle. In adults, it comes in the subtle longing to keep up with your peers' financial and career status. It comes in the pressure to match the glory of your peers' home or the grandeur of their family vacation. It even comes in the subtle judgments of your peers regarding the quality of the children you are raising in their character, academic achievements, and athletic ability. You hear those chirps, don't you? You know, if you wouldn't encourage your kid to do these church events, he wouldn't get penalized on the sports team. 
He'd get more playing time. We'd be a better team if you would, you know, just not encourage him to pursue Jesus. You're, you're really telling your kid to not do their homework, to not pursue what the world conceives as academic excellence in order to invest in their relationship with Jesus? You know you're like going to threaten their college ability. You're going to threaten their quality of life in the future. You guys hear that? You sense that? Is it tempting to say, ah, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe I'll just go a little softer on encouraging my kids to pursue Christ. Just kind of let them do what they want to do with their lives. It's very real. And I don't think that I have to convince you of that. But what we see in Jesus is that he was not controlled by a desire to be thought well of by men. And this enabled him to lay down his reputation in obedience to God. It's what we see here. It's absolutely astonishing. And I don't want us to miss what Pilate's response to this scene is. I guarantee a court scene like he had never seen before. Pilate had judged and sentenced many people to death. And this is the strangest court scene he has ever presided over. What does the text say Pilate's response is? Pilate, the unbeliever here in the story. Pilate urges him, do you have no answer to make for yourself? Do you have no defense to make? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. He stood in awe of this. I'm sure not understanding what was going on. Why would this man not come to his own defense? It's like he wants to die. He does. Because to die is to walk in obedience to his father. You see, when we walk in this sacrificial obedience that we see Jesus walking in, an obedience that sacrifices our sense of self-control, our quality of life, and our reputation, the watching world around us is going to stand in amazement. Why would you give up your two weeks of vacation to go on a mission trip and to serve other people when you could go to this five-star resort? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you use your time and your money in that way? Why would you sacrifice your kids' uh, future, their, their academic or athletic future, by encouraging them to invest in the church, to invest in their relationship with Jesus? It doesn't make any sense. You know what? When they come to us saying that, you know what we have the ability to tell them? Well, let me tell you why I choose to live my life that way. Because I've got a Savior I've got a Jesus that sacrificed so much more for me. Can I tell you about him? Can I tell you about this glorious Jesus that gave everything for me? 
all I'm trying to do is to walk in obedience to him out of my love for him. Can I invite you to do the same? They will stand in amazement because it's counter to everything that the world tells us. And you already know that. So we have seen here Christ's example of sacrificial obedience as he willingly lays down his control, as he is willing to give up his life, and as he is willing for his reputation to be marred in the eyes of men. It's all about obedience for Jesus here. And he calls us as his followers to the same sacrificial obedience. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that the standard of Christ's sacrificial obedience is daunting. When you see this, it has so many more implications and applications to your life than what I brought to your attention. It's daunting. And you may be here feeling him calling you to walk in this same sacrificial obedience, but feeling discouraged because of your weakness to walk in it. I don't want you to leave here feeling that way. I don't want you to leave here feeling discouraged. Allow me in closing to leave you with one verse and one comment to lift your spirits as you go. The verse is Romans 5, 19. Paul says, For as by one man's disobedience, that is Adam, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. This is what we have to understand. Jesus, by his sacrificial obedience, not only sets the highest standard for his people, but by that same sacrificial obedience that would end in his death, he purchases for us freedom and power to walk in it. And so you should not leave this place thinking, I'm just going to buckle down and walk in this sacrificial obedience to Jesus. I'm just going to go do it. You will fall flat on your face. You will be just like Peter and just like the disciples. You have to leave here not looking to yourself, but looking to Jesus, looking to his perfect obedience, because it's in that that we find power and strength. It's as we are laying hold of the glory of Jesus' perfect obedience that he is working in us to change us to walk in it ourselves. And so you must leave here with your eyes on him and not on yourself, or you will fail and you will be in despair. But that's not what God has called us to. God has called us to walk in the power of the Spirit in sacrificial obedience, finding our strength in Jesus and in him alone. So brothers and sisters, let us then go resting in his power to walk in the same sacrificial obedience that he did. Let's pray. Father, we stand as Pilate did in amazement 
of the obedience of Jesus for us. We are the beneficiaries of this scene. And you have allowed us to see the glory of Jesus laying himself down in obedience to you. God, you know better than we do that we need your help in this. That it's not by our own strength that we can do this, but it's only as we're resting in Jesus. And so I pray for each one here as they leave, that they would leave with their eyes and their hearts enamored and amazed by him. Striving to walk in obedience through the power that he has purchased for us. That we might leave this place ready to honor Christ in new and beautiful ways. That we might lay ourselves down as he laid himself down for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.